It's such a blessing to be with you all. I'm the director of the Bible College over at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs, so on behalf of Pastor Rawl and everybody at Golden Springs, we want to bring you greetings today. As um, Pastor Art mentioned, uh, Pastor Rawl speaks so many times during the week, and uh, his uh, voice has like little nodules or whatever on it, and so the doctors are saying, try to limit your speaking as much as you can. And so... Uh, that's why he's unable to be here today. Um, but the Lord has something for each and every one of us. Um, I'm reminded of the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he wasn't able to be in his pulpit one morning, and the guest speaker that day said, uh, he may be a better speaker than me, but he doesn't have a better Savior. He doesn't have a better Savior. And we're not here because any one person. We're here because of Jesus. So uh, please open in your Bible, if you will, to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. And at this Perilous Times conference, I want to speak to you this morning in our first session on the theme, Longing to See Jesus. Longing to See Jesus. And as we come to study God's word, let's bow in prayer. And as we bow in prayer, if you'll do me a great favor, if you'll just hold your open Bible out in front of you, that would be really wonderful. God, we thank you so much for the book that we hold in our hands. We really have no words to describe how much we love this book. It is the greatest book in the world. It is the greatest book in all of human history. For this book and only this book is the word of God. All other books are the words of men. But this is the word of God. And we pray not only in our first session today, but all throughout the day. We pray as we study this book that you would speak to us loudly and clearly about the days and the times in which we live that you would put in our hearts that longing that all of us should have to see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For that we'll bless you, we'll praise you, and we'll thank you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite stories is a little story called Johnny and the Clock. Perhaps you've heard before about a little boy named Johnny, and every Saturday morning he used to love to go to his grandma and grandpa's house and he not only liked to go there because Grandma made him cookies, and uh, Grandma and Grandpa had a huge backyard that he loved to play in, but he loved to go to Grandma and Grandpa's house because uh, they had this gigantic uh, clock in the hallway, and every hour as those clocks are, uh, it would sound off with a gong. And Johnny used to love to count the number of gongs on the clock, and so one Saturday, he had gone over to Grandma and Grandpa's house, and he was having a great morning. And his favorite time of the day, of course, was high noon, because that's when the clock would chime. It would gong 12 times. And so just a few minutes before uh, noon, he runs into the house. He runs down the hallway, and he's standing in front of the clock with great anticipation. 
And sure enough, at high noon, it begins to gong, and Johnny begins to count the gongs. Gong one, gong two, gong three, gong four, gong five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Only when it got to twelve, it kept gonging. <laughs> Grandma had forgot to tell him that something was wrong in the mechanism of the clock, and so he just kept gonging. When it gonged again, his eyes got really big. Gong 12, gong 13, he says. Gong 14, gong 15, gong 16. He couldn't believe what was happening. And finally, when it stopped gonging, he runs into the kitchen and he grabs his grandma and he says, Grandma, Grandma, it's later than it's ever been before. <laughs> and I love that story because... Biblically speaking, prophetically speaking, spiritually speaking, it's later than it's ever been before. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible tells us that in the last days, perilous times would come. It does not take a genius to look around and figure out that we are living in perilous times. And if we are living in perilous times, then that means these are the last days. Because in the last days, those perilous times will come. We live in the last of the last days. It's later than it's ever been before. And because it's later than it's ever been before, because we live in perilous times, that means that Jesus Christ is coming soon, very soon, any day, any time, at any moment, Jesus Christ could return for you and, and for me. And for those who love Jesus, they're longing for that day, they're longing for that moment with great anticipation. This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 3 in verse 20. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for this Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a pen or a pencil right now, underline in your Bible in verse 20 that little phrase, eagerly wait. It's a beautiful descriptive term, apodekamai in Greek, that literally means to stand on your tiptoes in anticipation to eagerly long for, to eagerly wait. And it's a present tense, meaning it's all the time that you're standing on your tiptoes. You just can't wait to see Jesus. There is no time that I read this verse. There is no time that I say those words, eagerly wait, that a picture doesn't come into my mind. A beautiful picture. 
It's a picture of what happened the first time that I went to Kenya a number of years ago. We took a group of students on a missions trip over to Kenya to minister to some of those precious, beautiful children there in Kenya. And I remember we flew 10,000 miles from Los Angeles into Nairobi, and we got in a van and we rode in that van for three hours until we came to a small village in Nairobi, and we pulled up on the grounds of this children's home that we were going to do ministry to these precious African children, and they had been waiting. They had been waiting, and they heard that these people were coming all the way from America to visit them, and I I'll never forget as long as I live when we pulled on the grounds of that children's home that hundreds of ch children, these dark-skinned, precious children, they just ran out of the, 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 the houses in which they were staying, and they surrounded the van that we were in. And I, I remember looking out the window and seeing them reach up their hands, and I couldn't. I couldn't resist. I, I popped open the window of that van and I stuck my white hand out that window and all those precious little children, they're standing up on their tiptoes. They just can't wait to touch my hand. They, they had been waiting and waiting and waiting and they were so longing for those people from America to come. And Paul says, that's how it is with Jesus. When we look at the perilous times, we're not so focused on the perilous times. We're longing to see Jesus. And when a person has that longing in their life, it is a great blessing to them. According to the Word of God, there are certain blessings that happen to a person who has that longing to see Jesus in their life. And this morning I want to talk to you about those blessings, four blessings that are yours and that are mine if we have that longing to see Jesus. And if you're a wise person, you'll pull out a piece of paper right now and you'll grab a pen and you'll write these four things down and the four scriptures we're going to give you if you're a wise person, even if you don't have a piece of paper, you're going to write it in the front of your Bible. Because believe me, what we're going to talk about is so important, so wonderful, so life-changing. It will bless your heart. I would encourage you these four things. Look at them every day and think about them every day. A first blessing, a first blessing that longing to see Jesus will bring in your life is that it comforts a sorrowing heart. Write that down. It comforts a sorrowing heart. And then next to that phrase, write 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18. And then turn in your Bible over to that passage. It's probably just a page or two. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 13... An amazing passage that describes how Jesus is coming soon for his own. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, 
concerning those who have fallen asleep. That little phrase, fallen asleep, refers to a Christian who has died. Their soul doesn't sleep, but their body, it looks like their body is asleep. It's a nice way of saying that a believer has died. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are believers who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, those who are asleep, the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up, the Latin translation says rapturo, will be raptured, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Thinking about that, what blessing does it bring to you? Look at verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You see... When you think about the fact that Jesus is coming soon and that soon we're going to be with him, the comfort it brings to a sorrowing heart is knowing those believers who have died, you're going to see them again. Now, I don't know as we gather today what's going on in your life, what's happened the last year or the last few years, but no doubt... Every single person in this room knows someone who's died and, as we say, has gone to be with the Lord, and you miss them. And the longing we have is that when we see Jesus, we're going to see our family and our friends and our loved ones again and again and again, and that's that's what we're living for. A new house, a new car, a new vacation. But that doesn't comfort the sorrowing heart. But knowing the word of God says, you're going to see those people again. When you see Jesus, oh, what a blessing it is because it brings comfort to your sorrowing heart. Years ago, there was a contemporary Christian music pioneer named Andre Crouch who wrote a famous song. I love the words of that song. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. Oh, no more crying there. <laughs> We're going to see the king. No more crying there. We're going to see the king. No more crying there. We're going to see the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to sing the king. No more dying there. No more dying there. We're going to see the king. 
No more dying there. We're going to see the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to see the king. Listen, the blessing about conferences like this today is it reminds you to look to the Lord and long for his coming because it brings comfort to a sorrowing heart. But a second blessing that longing to see Jesus will bring in your life, write it down, is it compels a serving heart. It not only comforts a sorrowing heart, but it compels a serving heart. Next to that phrase, write 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And then look at that passage with me. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about the resurrection and the coming again of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what is the blessing in thinking about all of that? Well, notice how he ends chapter 15. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of the fact that he's coming again, Therefore, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What's Paul saying? He's saying when you think about the fact that Jesus is coming, it, it compels your heart to keep serving the Lord. It moves your heart to be faithful in doing what God has called you to do. As we gather today, I don't know what ministry God has given you. I don't know what function you play in the church that you're a part of. But all I know is when you live in perilous times, you can get discouraged. And you can think, does it really make a difference what I'm doing? And what Paul is saying here is when you think about the fact that Jesus is coming, it moves your heart to keep doing what you're doing. And the reason why is because when the Lord comes back, you're going to be rewarded for all of that serving you do. I often think of Galatians 6 and verse 9 where Paul says, Do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. I often think of Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12 where Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. Every believer one day will stand at a place called the judgment seat of Christ and be rewarded for the things that they have done in the body. Each of you will have a chance to stand before Jesus, and I, I can imagine what it will be like when Jesus, your Savior, smiles at you and says, well done, well done, well done, great job. Thank you so much for serving those children. Thank you so much for feeding the homeless. Thank you so much for cleaning the church. Thank you so much for all the work you've done. And when you listen, when you know one day you will stand before Jesus and hear him say those precious words, well done, does something in your heart. It keeps you going. It encourages you to be faithful to the Lord. 
One of my favorite missionary stories is about a great missionary named Henry Morrison. Henry Morrison and his wife went down to Africa and they served there for many decades. They saw many people come to Christ and then because they were getting older and their health began to fail them, they had to come back to the United States and they booked passage on a ship to return to the United States and when they got on the ship, they had no idea that they happened to be on the very same ship as the president of the United States at that time. His name was Teddy Roosevelt. Some of you might know Teddy Roosevelt was a big game hunter and he'd gone to Africa to hunt water hogs. And he went down there and did get some water hogs and then he was on this ship to go back to the United States. He came into New York City and as you can imagine because the President of the United States was on that ship. There was big fanfare for the return of the President. There was a big banner that said, Welcome home. There was marching bands. There were dignities, dignitaries that were there to shake his hand as he came off the ship, saying, Welcome home. Wow, yeah, it was amazing what you did. And Henry Morrison and his wife, they were on that ship, and when they went to exit the ship, there was no one there to welcome them. There was no one to say, good job. There was no one to say, thank you so much. They walked down the gangplank alone. They hailed a taxi to go to the small apartment their mission-sending agency had rented for them in New York City. And all the way in the taxi to the apartment, Henry Morrison was silent, and his wife she knew something was wrong, and so when they got into the apartment, she said to him, she said, honey, what's the matter? And he said, it's not fair. It's not right. Here we gave up everything to go serve the Lord in Africa. We braved danger and disease and difficulty all of those years. And now we come back to the United States, and there's no one to welcome us home. There's no one to say good job. There's no one to say thing. It's just not fair, he said. His wife was a wise woman. She said, well, don't tell me. Tell the Lord. <laughs> so he went into the bedroom, and he was in there for quite a while, and she could hear him crying and praying in there. And after a while, he came out of the bedroom, and his face was glowing. She said, honey... She said, what happened in there? He said, well, I just began to pour out my heart to God. Lord, we gave everything for you. It's, it's not fair. It's not right. No one said welcome home. No one said thank you. No one appreciated what we did. And he said, as I was pouring out my heart to the Lord, he said, it was as if God whispered to my ear, but you're not home yet. You're not home yet. And dear ones, we're not home yet. But God sees every little thing you're doing. God sees every act of service. And when you think one day you will stand before the Lord and he will give you his thanks, he will give you the reward that you deserve. Listen, it compels you to keep serving the Lord. Oh, a longing to see Jesus is a blessing in your life. Because number one, it comforts a sorrowing heart. And number two, it compels a serving heart. But number three, write it down, it cleanses a sinning heart. 
It cleanses a sinning heart. Next to that phrase, write down 1 John 3, 2 and 3. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. And then look with me at that passage. It cleanses a sinning heart. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. The book of 1 John, written near the time of the end of the New Testament. And the Apostle John is writing as an old man to the church, and he's trying to give insight and understanding to them about the coming of the Lord. And he says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but, when, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then verse 3, and everyone who has this hope does what? Purifies himself even as he is pure. You see, one of the blessings that longing to see Jesus will bring in your life is it will help you to live a holy life. It will cleanse a sinning heart. Because you know, listen, you know at any day, at any time, at any moment, the Lord could come. We live in perilous times. These are the last of the last days. And Jesus could come any instant. Maybe you never asked yourself this question. I ask myself this question every day. And I ask myself this question all throughout the day. Where do you want to be when the rapture happens? What do you want to be doing when the rapture happens? Watching a television show filled with filth and filthy language, and all of a sudden you start lifting off the couch. I don't want that to happen to me. I changed the channel really quick. Where do you want to be the instant the rapture happens? In a movie theater? Watching immoral, ungodly, blasphemous people on a huge screen, and all of a sudden you start to lift off the seat. And the next thing that happens is you go to meet the Lord face to face. You want to be there? I don't want to do that. So I choose not to go to that movie. Where do you want to be the instant of the rapture? Sitting in front of a computer screen, viewing images that you know you shouldn't be viewing, and all of a sudden you start to lift off? You want to be doing that the instant of the rapture? Not me. Not me. Do you want to be listening to worldly music the instant of the rapture? Do you want to be doing sinful things at the instant of the rapture? Do you want to be sitting in a sports bar having a beer at the instant of the rapture? Don't think so. I pray the rapture would happen today. Wouldn't it be so awesome if right now, all of a sudden, we just all started lifting off and went right through the ceiling 
and went to be with the Lord. Where do you want to be the instant of the rapture? I pray I'm on my knees praying. I pray it's in a church service worshiping the Lord. I pray it's when I'm witnessing. Would it be cool to be the, the, the person who leads the last person to the Lord before the rapture? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And all of a sudden you start going off. Wow, when you're thinking about that all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, it changes the way you live. There was a great man of God named Jonathan Edwards. He was used mightily by the Lord in what's called the first great awakening in America. And here's one of the reasons why God so mightily used that man. He wrote in his journal, resolved never to do anything I would regret if it were the last moment of my life. Listen, if you live that way day by day by day by day, moment by moment by moment by moment, it's a blessing in your life. It's a blessing in your life. You have no regrets in your life because you're living a holy life and a godly life because you know that any day, any time, any second, any moment, you could be looking in the eyes of Jesus. That there's a fourth and final blessing that longing to see Jesus will bring in your life and my life. Write it down. And that is that it calms a struggling heart. It calms a struggling heart. Right next to that phrase, John 14, verse 1 through 3. John 14, verse 1 through 3. It calms a struggling heart. Then look at that passage with me, if you will. In John 14, verse 1 through 3, Jesus says these famous these wonderful, these comforting and encouraging words. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Notice, notice this little phrase again in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You see, when you're longing to see Jesus, when you're always thinking any day, any time, any moment, what it will do, it, was, it will calm your struggling heart. It will calm your troubled heart. In the last days, perilous times will come, and they have come. And so what you can do is you can look and all of the famines and the earthquakes and the turmoil and this global warming and, and there's sin abounding here, there, and everywhere. And you can start to focus on all of these things in the perilous times that we, we live in. And what it can do is it can make your heart troubled. And what Jesus wants us to do is to look to him. Because, listen, the worse the times get, that means the closer we are to his coming. 
That means that any day, any time, any moment, as I look at some of the things that we see happening around us, I, I sometimes pray, Lord, come quickly. <laughs> you can't allow this to go on anymore. You, you can't allow this evil to abound in the way that it is going. Lord, you can't let our country go further and further. And you begin to pray and you begin to long, oh Lord, please come quickly, come quickly, come quickly. Come today, Lord. Oh, I wish you would come today, Lord. Don't, don't allow it to go e any further when you look at the immorality and the unthinkable things that they're doing to precious little children in public schools, the things they're trying to teach them and show them and all of that. You say, Lord... Lord, come quickly, come quickly, come quickly. And you realize, listen, you realize God is in control. God is in control. That just the right time, God will allow it, allow it, allow it, allow it, allow it. And then when it's time, our Savior is going to appear. And what, listen, when you think about that, it brings a calm to your heart. It brings a calm to your heart. Because you know God has a sovereign plan and purpose for your life. And God has a plan and purpose for this planet. Listen, and Jesus is not going to come one second later than what God wants him to come. And when you think about that, oh, it brings you a peace that passes all understanding. I love the story of what happened many years ago. There was a cruise ship, it was out in the middle of the ocean, and that ship encountered a terrible storm. The worst storm a cruise ship like that had ever been in, and the captain ordered all of the passengers to go into the galley for their safety, and so the whole contingency other than the crew was in the galley together, and you, you, you could Imagine the sense of fear and anxiety and worry and trouble that was in that room. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then one of the adults noticed that there was this little girl, and she was just playing with her toys on the floor. She didn't seem like she had a care or concern or a worry in the world. Curious, the adult looked down and said, sweetheart, you don't seem like you're too worried about this terrible storm that we're in. Why aren't you so worried like all of us are worried? That little girl looked up at the adult and smiled, and she said, well, she said, my daddy is the captain of this ship, and we're going to be just fine. Dear ones, I've come with a good word for you today. Though we live in perilous times, our Heavenly Father is the captain of the ship of history. And we're going to be just fine. Because no weapon formed against God's people will ever prosper. God will protect you. And God will protect me in the times in which we live until the exact instant that our Savior comes. And when you're thinking about that, thinking about that, thinking about that, it brings a blessing in your life. Oh, we live in perilous times, and that's a sign that Jesus is coming soon. And when you have that longing to see Jesus, it brings a blessing in your life. Number one, it comforts a sorrowing heart. 
Number two, it compels a serving heart. Number three, it cleanses a sinning heart. And number four, number four, it calms a struggling heart. May God use his word. May God use this conference today to renew in your heart that sense of expectation, that longing to see Jesus any day, any time, any moment. There was a great man of God in Scotland named Horatius Benar. He would often go through difficulty and hardship, but he was such a godly and wonderful man. One day someone asked him, how is that so? He said, well, it's a little something that I do every morning and every night. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, every morning when I get up, the first thing that I do is I get out of bed, I go over to the curtains, I open the curtains, and I look into the morning sunrise, and I say aloud so I can hear it with my ears, maybe today, maybe today, and then at the end of the night, before I retire to bed, before I close the curtains, I look out into the night sky and all the stars and the moon, and I say aloud so I can hear it, maybe tonight, maybe today he will come, maybe tonight he will come, maybe today, maybe tonight, maybe today, maybe tonight, maybe today, maybe tonight. Maybe today, maybe tonight, will be when you see the face of Jesus. There was a godly woman who wrote many hymns named Fanny Crosby. When she was six weeks old, she was blinded. There was a careless nurse who put the wrong ingredient, the wrong medicine in her eyes and blinded her for life. Angry, bitter, no, she wasn't. Thankful, grateful, longing to see Jesus. One day someone said to her, aren't you upset that you can't see? She said, no, no. She says, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. She said, in fact, if I, this wouldn't have happened to me, I wish I would have been born blind. Curious, they said, why would you ever say something like that? She said, because... The first face I will ever see is the face of Jesus. Maybe today, maybe tonight, we'll see the face of Jesus. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this conference today. This time when you renew in all of our hearts that longing for heaven. Lord, put in our hearts that tiptoe anticipation. We've been waiting, 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 and we are living in the last of the last days, and we long to see our Savior face to face. Thank you for all of these Precious people you brought today, thank you for all of these amazing teachers you brought today. We pray, Lord, you would do the work that you want to do in all of our hearts. 
We thank you, we bless you, we praise you, for we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.